Welcome to the Graveyard Shift. <laughs> uh, I'm Nathan Rouse. And I'm James Pugh. And look, and today we're joined by a man who believes coding is at the heart of every job of the future. Um, and he also has a brilliant story to tell of how he set up his own business. Welcome to Manny Atwell, who is the founder of the School of Coding, who's going to revolutionise the world. We are indeed, yes. That's right. How are you going to do it? <laughs> Uh, by teaching, to to, yeah, yeah, by teaching every child and adult uh, in the UK to learn to code, or at least have some exposure to coding, and then we'll move to the rest of the world. Yeah, but why is it? Why is it? It seems like, and we've talked to we've talked to various different um, press as well since chatting to you, um, that coding is the buzz now at the moment. It's the thing, but it's been around for. I mean, I did basic when I was at school at GCSE in the late 80s, he says, giving away my age. Um, so it's kind of been around, but what, what's, what's the resurgence? Why is the... Well, for, I think first thing is, you know, when I did my GCSE, and it wasn't computer science, it was uh, ICT, I used a word processor, a broad pre word processor, like a uh, typewriter type of word yeah, processor, same. not the, the computerized one that we have now. So you see how technology has really moved. Now, if we, if we look at technology, it moved very slowly from 80s to probably about 90s. Um, and then it started shifting, uh, but not still not at the speed that it's now shifted from 2000 to now. Light speed uh, so now, it's a massive it? yeah. spike in technology. Now, if you look at the you know the smallest things right from cars, um, we're talking about self-driving cars. But what we don't realize is a lot of the cars that we already drive um, are built on code already. So you know okay. you, we just use, for example, our dash every day, but we don't think about how it's actually built. Then we use laptops, smartphones, um, coffee machines, um, microwaves, fridges. So when we use the word smart, it's quite open now to say, you know, it's a smart home, smart this, smart desk, uh, smart office. Like you used to have an eye before everything, didn't you? It, exactly, exactly, yeah. yeah. So, so we just switched it for smart. Um, and all we're trying to say is, obviously, we're using technology there. Now, the biggest issue we have is people have become consumers of technology, but they don't understand that somebody needs to build and then take care of that technology. And so that's creating a gap. And the gap's already started that there's not enough people who are there to build and then also repair that technology. And a prime example of this is the, the electric cars which are coming out. So we all want to try and shift to electric cars because it's brilliant for the environment and brilliant for the pocket as well. However, we never think about, well, where would I take my car to get it repaired? Um, because okay. not every garage is going to have a mechanic at the moment who can deal with code. Uh, for example, you know, there are big brands out there of cars who use code um, in their cars. So rather than being a physical mechanic, you now need to know computer science in order right, to fix okay. a car. So hopefully that answers your question as to why yeah, there's a massive yeah, drive now. Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, I, I, I had a Tesla for a couple of years, love it. But, you know, I have to go to Birmingham for a service. You know, I, I can't just kind of drop it down to the sort of local garage. Yeah. Even the tyres, I blew a tyre once and I took it to, a, I think I was in Clibri Mortimer, sort of South Shropshire, rolled into a kind of car garage and said, oh, can you can have a look at the tyres? And he was mm -hmm. like, never seen tyres like this before. And I was like, why? What's these? There's some noise cancelling in the in the tread yeah. and inside there's some space. He said, I can't replace like for like. And I was like, well, can you just put something on to get me back? And then I had to go back to Birmingham for a tire. 
to me, which is crazy. You know, it's a sort of an 85-mile round trip, you know, from the house. But I guess the issue with coding is that while all of that's probably been happening, people probably haven't known that that was behind it, that you wouldn't, behind the dash, as, you know, you get in the car, you turn it on, <laughs> you drive to work. And people still don't know that. Right, that, that, okay. You know, that, that's the biggest issue because people still think that, it's something that's normal um, that they can just get, like you said, you know, you can get the tires changed locally or get the car fixed locally, <laughs> yeah. but you can't, you know, because we just don't have the skill set. And that's where the problem starts. Right, okay. Well, I mean, Manny, I mean, you know, personal experience here, you know, I've got a 10 year old son, uh, loves his gaming, um, really interested in technology, uh, but obviously he's not learning coding in school, you know, and he's, I said he's 10, you know, he's in primary school. How do I go about getting him into it? Where do I start? Good question. A great <laughs> chance for Manny to plug School of Coding, yeah, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, so I think the first step is always to send them to School of Coding. That's where Woo! the journey starts. <laughs> um, but put, putting that to the side for a second, but we have to think about um, what, why do you want your child to learn to code? You know, um, and that's really important because every time I speak to a parent or even <clears throat> speak to adults who want to learn to code, it's not about a child going into a computer science career or into the tech sector. It's about them understanding how code works. That's really, really important because over the next 10, 15 years, not knowing how code works will be like not knowing how to read or write. Really? Yeah, because children need to understand how things are built. We know that, right? Just generally in life, they need to know how things are built. So if everything's going to be moving to smart technology, mm. they need to understand how those things work and how code brings it all together. So coding helps them to break down a problem and break it so down that it, they can actually solve any problem in the world. And in order for children to learn coding, they should first learn how to solve problems, basic problems. And that's where we start their journey. And you can start that at home. You know, just give them very simple, for example, how do you make a cup of tea? Now, you can ask a child to make a cup of tea, but if you told them to break it down step by step, they will probably miss one or two steps out. Okay. And that's where we start, is always with a cup of tea. That's as to true. how do you I'm make a cup of tea. About it like yeah. That. yeah, okay. And, and then you write those steps out. Um, and that's where the logical thinking comes. Because, the cup's missing, yeah, Nathan. Exactly. The cup, I mean, for God's sake. <laughs> that's exactly how it would be with me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and, and that's where that's where you need to start with all children. Um, problem solving and logical thinking. And that's really the foundation of coding. I mean, is it important to start them as young as possible? Because, you know, I first did coding not until I was, um, I think it was at college, sixth form, I did computer studies, and I found it really, really difficult. But if I started learning it, you know, as a 10-year-old in primary school, you know, would it have found it easier? Maybe. <laughs> but look, I we, mean, everybody's different. Yeah, so, we, we, you know. we, we teach um, adults, you know, um, ages 60 years plus who have never dealt with code before and we teach kids younger as five years old who you know they're just starting out on their journey and that's the beautiful part of coding because it's a language in itself that you can learn at any age that's the first part and the second thing is it's universal so everybody around the world speaks the same language when it comes to coding <laughs> so I, we never put a age factor on it so and we never would because i think it's open to everybody to learn to code i couldn't code until i started school of coding and that was at the age of 32 right, so okay. uh 
I can't say that if I'd started earlier, I would have been much better called out. I think that would be a wrong, wrong promotion, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think any age is the perfect age to start. Just get started, that's the most important part. Yeah, great. Um, obviously, where you are now is very different to where you were a few years ago. Um, I mean, how did you go from experiencing unemployed despair to becoming the founder of what is now the UK's largest coding school? So my journey started when I lost uh, my job in the city. So I I had a pretty high-flying job. Um, I was working in New York uh, in Manhattan for about six months. Then I moved to to London, uh, Canary Wharf, and... um, I was working for a hedge fund. Um, So I've seen code then because a lot of the algorithms that we were dealing with, obviously, it's all code. Um, From there, uh, when I lost my job, my wife was pregnant with our first child and um, I moved back to Wolverhampton and uh, I just couldn't find any work. And uh, maybe because uh, where I was in Wolverhampton and all the jobs at that time, uh, unlike now, um, we're all in London and New York, especially in the financial sector. So I wanted to really be with my family, but at the same time try and build a career. And, and I spent good one year trying to find something that worked. And I just couldn't um, you know, get myself uh, onto any jobs. And um, in the end, things got really bad. So I couldn't afford our food shopping, we were falling behind with our mortgage, and then um, got to a point where I thought, okay, I just got to do something to put food on the table. And that's when I decided that I will just do some labouring jobs, and uh, I started delivering vans for supermarkets, and uh, it was literally picking up a van from one supermarket and dropping it off to another supermarket um, around the country. And I picked up a van from Wolverhampton and dropped it off in Wales. On the way back, I needed to change my train at Shrewsbury train station. Uh, The company who was the midpoint contractor was supposed to book me a ticket back uh, from Shrewsbury back to Wolverhampton, but they never did. And it was uh, 11 o'clock at night, and the next train wasn't till 5. So I missed the train. 5 a.m. 5 a.m. in the morning, yeah. Uh, Well, if you've been to Shrewsbury train (laughs) stations, you know (laughs) what's that like, right? So... Um, but, you know, I love Shrewsbury train station because I feel like that's where my journey started. So now I, I do really like it's it. It's where journeys start. <laughs> yeah. Shrewsbury train station. Exactly. Not many people can see yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so for, I was at the train station that evening and um, I missed the 11 o'clock train because I couldn't get a ticket sorted out. Uh, and of course, their offices closed by then as well. So I was getting no response. And um, I literally set at that train station and it's not until this year I actually disclosed this I actually cried Mm -hmm. and I cried for a few hours um, Mm -hmm. just thinking about where my life was and where I've come down to and why it happened and and there was a lot of self-blame at that time but um, up until that night I wasn't actually looking for a solution I was still trying to find and get myself back to where I was before Um, but when Something happened that night. I don't know what it was, um, but I sat there. Yeah, I I sat there crying and and just said, you know, I need to change my life. Um, Anyway, a train came uh, at, I think it was about 20 past five in the morning. The first Been on that one. Yeah, Yeah, have you? Been on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would have helped. I would have helped. Let's hope you you have a ticket, you know, (laughs) because I had to hide in the toilet 
to come back to Wolverhampton because I still didn't have a ticket. I didn't have the money to buy a ticket from back home as well. So I hid, uh, hid in the toilet anyway, come back to Wolverhampton train station. And, uh, and then I had to walk from Wolverhampton train station to my house, which is about three and a half miles. Uh, I just live outside of Wolverhampton. And I've got to say, it's probably the best walk and the most lucrative walk I ever did yeah. because I think not financially lucrative, but lucrative for myself mentally mm-hmm. um, because it helped me break down so many barriers in my mind that day. Okay. Um, so whilst I was on this three and a half mile walk, that's where I just said to myself, I need to do something totally different and I've got to change the way I look at life and the way I do things. And I decided that I wanted to do something for myself, but also... I wanted to fight against everything that happened to me. So, for example, if I was going to set up a business, which is what I decided that day, that I wanted to run a business in a totally different way that uh, my employees won't go through the things I went okay. through. Yeah. And um, that same morning, I then got home. Obviously, my pregnant wife was at home. And, kind uh, of saying, where, where the hell have you been? Like, yeah, you know, yeah. Did you message her and said, yeah, I messaged kicking her. back at the platform? Oh, the next train's not for six hours. Yeah. I mean, how did that conversation go? Uh, I, I, I told her, you know, that this is what's happened. And um, um, she was obviously really worried. And she's, yeah. she said, I'll come and pick you up. And, and in a way, I didn't want her to pick me up because I just felt that... Um, that would have just added another straw that, you know, I've just found a solution um, for for a problem that's been created by life. And I wanted to find that solution. So I'm so glad that I never asked for any help that evening because that's mm. when I really found the solution to, to my problems in life. So when I got home, you know, we sat down, we had a conversation and I, and I told her, I said, this is what's been going through my mind. I don't want to go back to the city. I want to do something totally different. I want to be around you. And, and also Zorawar, who's my son now and was unborn baby at that time. So she said, that's fine. My mother-in-law rang me at the same time and said, why don't you come over for some food? And I said, great, that's a great start. Let's go over, you know, <laughs> start with the free food. Yeah, you know? great. What else can you do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Especially from the in-laws as well, you know, so can't yeah. beat that one. So we went over to my in-laws house and... Um, and there was a retired teacher who was sitting there um, teaching my niece and nephew. And I asked my brother-in-law, I said, what is he doing? He said, oh, he's teaching them coding. I heard of coding before in the city anyway, but I never thought that kids could learn to code at that time. And uh, I said, I just want to have a uh, cup of coffee with him, asking a few questions. And I asked him two questions. I said, Are you, have you got enough work? And he said, I've got more than I can handle. And I said, um, have you made a business out of it? He said, no, it's just a hobby. And and that's when I realized, Light okay, bulb. yeah, that I can do something out of this. So on the way home that same day, I stopped off at the library, uh, Pendyford Library, picked up a book on coding and uh, locked myself away for one month um, on YouTube. Uh, I was still delivering the vans, uh, so I was I would sit on the train watching YouTube videos on coding, writing the syllabus whilst I was coming back home so after delivering the van. So you wrote your own syllabus for it yes. while you were doing it? Okay. Yeah. So there was nothing out there that no. kind of existed in terms of... So you knew it was about teaching. Because mm-hmm. what's quite interesting is that you've been awake then from 11pm till 5am. Yep. Then you've got you've hidden in the toilets on the train on the way home. You've then yep. walked three and a half miles. You've announced this to your darling pregnant wife. Yeah, that's nice food. But you're still going. You're still going, right, what's yeah. next? So it was that crystallized that walk that three and a half mile walk yeah. enabled you to go this is it yeah and then i mean serendipitous the fact that there's a guy coding yeah for your nieces and nephews or cousins or whatever yeah uh, that day i mean that is just 
I'm amazed at why is it taking you then a year to talk about it? Because I know it, I know it's a mm -hmm. it's a sad story at the beginning, of course, but it's such an uplifting story because not enough business leaders talk about failure. Mm. They talk about, oh well, I had this great idea and then this happened, and they miss out the bit that was the train station. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And I, I'm sure we've all got bits of that. Yeah. But yeah. but why is it take a year? Why is it taking until last year to talk about it? Because that's five years of sitting on it in some respects. Because yeah, I I think first of all, just want if I just take you back to that day, that morning with that um, with that gentleman, um, something happened because. And I, to this day, I still ask my brother-in-law that question, that did he ever teach in that house before? Because it was my in-law's house. He said, no. Did he ever teach after? He said, no. That was the morning he was there. And, and I don't know whether it's luck, you know, whether I was in the right place at the right time. Yeah, you can call, call it whatever you want, right? So destiny. Um, so something meant to happen, was supposed to happen that day. Maybe because obviously, you know, I was now opening up to something new. Um, so to answer your question, why it's taken so long? Well, I was born in India um, and I couldn't speak English till I was 14 years old okay. um, because my father passed away and my uncle brought us over uh, to this country. And I didn't see my mom for another 15 years. So I lost my parents pretty wow. much the same time, although my mom's now here. Yeah. Um, so it was really hard to um, look at other people uh, even for the smallest things, for example, we would get um, a jam sandwich for lunch whilst other kids would eat a normal chicken sandwich for lunch. They would buy chocolate bars. And, um, and, and again, they, there's, a, there's something I didn't talk about until this year, even to my wife, um, was that I used to steal chocolate bars so I can give it to my little brother so he wouldn't feel that, mm -hmm. you know, he doesn't have enough in life. Yeah. Um, and... And until now, I didn't see that as positive. I always saw that as, you know, people would always look down at it and, and they would see it as a really bad thing. But then when I started going into schools, I realized the kids are still going through that stuff. And, you know, you need to give people hope because people only understand life when they start to see that there's hope for them in yeah. everything, yeah. whether it's a personal problem, professional problem, business problem. So that's the reason I decided this year that I wanted oh, to come up with you? a story yeah. because it, yeah. it's, um, and you're calling it uplifting, yeah. but for me it wasn't, you know, because I wanted to really paint a picture for everybody that everything just been brilliant, you know, right from day one. But, but it's funny, it's isn't not. It? People will look at that, though. They'll look at you and go, wow, he's super successful. I mean, look at what he's trying to do to this business. It's growing rapidly. You know, they're, they have fantastic contracts. You know, he's on the telly. You know, he's immaculately groomed. Let's yeah. talk about this today. Um, immaculately, as you'll see on the cameras. <laughs> but, but, you know, and, but that is a, it's a huge disparity there between the start and then where you are now. And of course, yeah. you're, you know, this is not about finishing now. This is about, right, okay, what's the, what's the next phase of development? But yeah. I, I don't know, it's really uplifting for me to, to, to hear it because yeah. everybody who kind of works or is in business, mm. you know, mm. wants to be inspired by stories yeah. like that. And you're right, and the, the luck of, or whatever it is, destiny, fate, serendipity, all those things, of that being, of all those things coming together yeah. almost within quite a short period of time must then have crystallised Right, this is actually a really, a really good idea. You know, this is something that I can get to grips with. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, soon as I um, picked up the book and I went home and uh, you know started uh, looking on YouTube, and like you said, you know, it was a very long day and night. But 
my energy was just through the roof. Mm-hmm. For, because for, for a very sh- long period of time, a good six, seven months, I didn't feel like there was something that was going to happen in my life that was going to change. But that day, something just clicked that this is it. You know, this is going to work out. So um, I did a lot of research around, you know, what was available already out there. And there was nothing. You know, I, and I called the the business Kids Can Code to start off with, and that's that's a different story altogether as to why we changed the name. But we started off with Kids Can Code, and um, it was it was the energy from that morning that made me realize that you know, if I put my effort into this, I think there is a market for this, and it, it, it was there was a gap and. At that time, there weren't that many coding schools. I know they're more popping up now, um, but at that time, people wouldn't talk about coding. A lot of people didn't even know what coding mm. was, as they do now. Mm. Yeah. So therefore, when you wrote that first syllabus, and the, the name being the kind of kids can code, it was obviously directed at the kids now. But you do so much other stuff. So give us a quick overview of what the business does, what sort of groups you deal with, um, and the sort of things you're teaching them. Yeah, so we teach kids, obviously, um, as uh, private students that come to us and learn to code. But then we also go into schools. Uh, we work with hundreds of schools across the country where we deliver workshops, but also teach on their um, timetable as well now. We deliver our own GCSE computer science. And this is something that I've been really proud of because mm. there's been a barrier in our country that you've got to be a certain age to sit your GCSE. Um, when we delivered our first GCSE, the children were just 10 and 11 years old. And, and everyone was like, how did you manage to get them a grade A at, you know, six or seven? And that helped the business with his profile. Yeah. And every year now we put students who are aged 10 and 11 forward for their GCSEs. So from there we moved on to adult education. Um, where we deliver our funded projects through government funding for those who are looking to change career paths but also to upskill as well. We then help them to get into the sector as well, into the tech sector. So we first give them free training and then we get them to, into a job as well. Great. Sign us up. Mm-hmm. Sign us up. <laughs> <laughs> um, would you say, obviously, you know, since you set the company up, it's grown um, tremendously you know has the growth surprised you and tell us a bit about you know your expansion plans you know I think you're also looking to take on some more people yeah definitely so look we only started five years back so even sometimes I have to pinch myself as to how fast we've grown (laughs) Um, but the biggest thing for me is to stay grounded and stay humble because I think as entrepreneurs we have to be on the path of learning all the time so whenever the business grows it creates its own problems and we've got to try and fix those problems and I have to then go out and learn new things myself in order to to be able to manage those. So we've taken on or we've created jobs now for 58 members of staff who work for School of Coding and we're looking to double our size again uh, in the next 12 months. So, you know, we've got some really, really good people who work at School of Coding and um, we're on a journey and we're going we're gonna to carry on and building this business until we can't grow any further. So yeah. I don't know when that's ever going to stop. But, yeah. <laughs> and that's not just in the UK though, is it? Is it, you know, are you looking overseas? Yeah, we already have um, an office in Ireland. So when Brexit happened, um, I saw an opportunity that there was a lot of uh, foreign universities who were working with the UK universities, but now the relationships are broken down and uh, we pounced at it and we, we opened our own subsidiary in Dublin and that works across Europe. So we actually have four fully funded projects that we're managing with 19 universities across Europe and we also teach coding to kids across Europe and now Asia as well. Wow. 
And that's, that bypasses any kind of post-Brexit regulation or issues that prevent you from operating as a business effectively in Europe. Yeah, 100%, because right. we, we have set up a subsidiary, so it's owned by School of Coding, but uh, it's a standalone entity right. yeah, working in Europe, so, you know. Yeah. And you can travel, of course. Yeah, uh, well... Too much now that I actually <laughs> want to cut back. Yeah, so you know, it's, yeah, I think that's one of the one of the issues that we've faced is um, when when you have growth in a business. As you ask the question, you know, that did I imagine that that was one of the issues that we didn't. You know, mm. we never thought we would grow at the rate we did, and that brought not just um, problems for you to solve as a leader, but also operational problems. So. I had to hire the right people very quickly and t in order for me to be able to manage the operational side of the business as well. And it's still a uh, continuous problem in, in, in our business because high, high growth businesses are seeing those that grow at 20% year on year for three years, but we've been growing, what, nearly 300% year on year for the last three years. So we're really excited about it, but it's at the same time, incredible. yeah. It is incredible. Yeah. But what the, the, the staffing issues then just in terms of hiring the right people, because obviously... You know, are you a physical office location based then? People mm -hmm. have assumed, I guess, School of Coding, because it's tech, everyone's, you know, Monday to Friday work from home. What, how, what's the split? How does it work? So we've got about eight members of staff that work remotely. Yeah. Uh, some work in India, uh, others across Europe. And um, the rest of the team works in Shropshire and uh, Wolverhampton. So our head office is in Wolverhampton, but obviously we have a office in Shropshire as well. Yeah. So we have a split team that come into the office and work. And then we've got all our tutors who just work from home. Great. Yeah, so because we deliver the lessons online. And is that because coding's had a, had a lovely sort of curve, you know, it's rising, 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 the interest is rising, you're doing a lot of that work to help promote that. So um, does that mean that staffing is easier or does that mean that there are more people out there who are getting more offers? I mean, is it competitive? Because, we, we, you know, we've had, you know, quite a few people in on the podcast <laughs> talking about staff retention or churn or, mm. you know, difficulty in, in Shropshire, you know, staffs in, in terms of attracting the right people are you getting the the right people the quality the we, we definitely got the right team um, but the issue you have with staffing um, which we've seen over and over again is that you've got big companies and they are kind of a um, you know a shining star that everybody just wants to go and work for but what they forget is that working for a smaller company the benefits are far better um, one, because you understand the local market, but then you have the personal relationship yeah. with them as well. So for us, the challenge has been to try and inspire and encourage people to come and work for School of Coding rather than go and work for Facebook or Google or someone. <laughs> you know, um, and it's not just always the salary part because, of course, you know, they can offer far bigger salaries than us, although we try offer competitive salaries. But what we're trying to do is trying to show them that your journey, your career path with School of Coding will be far better because we're a growing company and the things you will learn, you will just be a small cog in a massive wheel at, mm. you know, at someone like Google. But at School of Coding, we'll put you into different things and you'll and you yeah. learn a lot of things. But yeah, 100%, it's a massive challenge at the moment mm. with, within the current marketplace to try and find the right people. So you have to go through, you know, seven, eight people in order for you to find one. So yeah. 
And of course, I guess you tell them your story. That must be part of the the onboard to some degree is to kind of go, look, this is where it started. Because I think it's quite powerful to, to, to hear something like that from the boss, because otherwise, yeah. you know, it's like, oh, don't ever go into the boss. Mm. You know, if the door, his door's always closed and always knock and always, you know, have to get an appointment. He always has a white coffee. Don't dare take him anything <laughs> with sugar. You know, it's just, you kind of want to, yeah. you, you, by, by yeah. your, your story kind of almost, that dissipates that sort of feeling that you want obviously people to treat you like yeah. a boss. Yeah. But, but, you know, there are benefits. <laughs> um, but, but also you want that approachability, I guess. You want, yeah, no, definitely. It, it, to be honest with you, I've got an uh, opposite problem to that because I get told by our operations team and also by the other directors that I need to stop letting people take my time up in the office. You know, <laughs> and I'm one of those, I'll just stop around the office and ask you, what are you doing today? What are you doing today? Right, and okay. and, and it, it's just because I think I want to be you know, a people's boss rather than a company boss. So for me, it's, um, it's an open door policy in our office that for anybody can come and ask me personal questions and they can ask me professional questions. But um, it's definitely now I noticed that it's attracted a lot of good talent for us because I never thought it would. Um, but people just and in in the last few people that we hired um that's something they mentioned in the interview and because we asked them the question now why do you want to work for school coding and they just said we love the story and just want to be part of the journey so brilliant Yeah, so you kind of go, don't give anybody any money for train tickets. Just make sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you'll be getting into Wolverhampton. Don't worry, I've sorted you the connection. And then just, you know, at 5 a.m. Oh, sorry, no, here's the money. Um, so how, is, how has that syllabus changed then from, from, from early days? Because obviously you're doing the university work seems, yeah. you know, the, the level gets up, gets higher, gets higher, gets higher. You guys have to upskill as much as anything else as well mm-hmm. then to deliver that. So in terms of, you know, you've obviously got primary schools, You've got secondary schools, you've got universities, you've got your NEETs, your people who are not in education. Um, mm. What is that? Not in education. Or employment training. Employment or training. Your testing, um, you know. Yeah, no, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Help me out. Yeah. <laughs> but the university work, I mean, that's another step up, I yeah. assume. Yeah. So how have you, is that you still learning to rewrite a syllabus? Is that bringing in other people? How does that work? I think, first of all, and this is really important if you're a business owner or if you're looking to start out in business, um, I've been very bold in our business and I have the attitude that it doesn't matter whether you are a small tuition centre or you're a university, you know, you you can compete with each other at any level. You just need to find a way how to do it. So. I always had the vision that just because a university has large part of money behind it doesn't mean that they're doing a better job than what we do. And and it took us a few years to get that across. And this is why now our syllabus, which was designed for primary schools, where first we tackled that, we showed primary school head teachers that, you know, this is how computing should be taught. Then we moved to secondary schools where I talked about GCSEs, how we improved GCSE <coughs> results to the level that they never thought that could happen and a a 10-year-old child couldn't do GCSE before, but we've changed that. Then we moved to higher education because higher education wasn't producing the skill set that is needed for the sector. And what's happened, um, because the European Council gives money uh, to universities to carry out research, well, when School of Coding stepped in to carry out research around coding, we didn't win one project, we won three all at once. So universities needed... Yeah. to come on board because they wanted a share of that money but this time they weren't controlling the money that we were so <laughs> that that's that was a that was a yeah. big step for us you Switcheroo. know yeah so now yeah. We, we we are in the driving seat 
so we can dictate that this is how syllabus should change. Um, because we speak to employers all the time as to what is needed in the tech sector, and then we are placing people into jobs, we then we work backwards as to what should change at grant level in order for a child to then go to do their GCSEs and then go to university. And then they stand a chance of landing a job because most of the time you go to university, you do something, and then you end up in a totally different career path. <laughs> yeah, so, as I did. You know, so. uh, have you had to sell sort of coding to the teachers or do you believe they realise it's important? <laughs> yeah. Every day, yeah. I, I, and and we still have to because I think, <laughs> you know, of course, English and maths is very, very important, mm. and sciences. But what people forget is that coding is not just about computers, and and that's the biggest challenge because we're still trying to teach. Um, Everyone, not just teachers, parents, teachers, you know, university lecturers and even government bodies that coding is really important because it's how you solve problems. You know, as I said earlier, it's about logical thinking. And only now teachers have started to get their head around it that it's not just about them learning to code. It's also about breaking a problem down and trying to be able to solve that. Yeah. And that then can be applied in mathematics and science. And it's a proven fact that any child who learns to code, then mathematics is automatically improved is it fair to say you believe every job in the future is gonna well coding with the heart of every job in the future well let's let's say that if you're someone who believes in that uh, coding um, or any tech job that doesn't require coding or any job in the future that won't require code you probably be out of work because i think almost any job that you go into will have code in it wow There'll be someone in like 20 yeah. years time who sat on the platform at Shrewsbury train station who has been in a job for years coding and is now, you know, going, I need to deliver vans, deliver some sort of, come yeah. up with some sort of van <laughs> delivery app. Yeah. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Because yeah. it's funny, isn't it? You just, it is. we, we just haven't, I mean, I'm, you know, too old for all this, but I think <laughs> that it's incredible, this, you know, this swell of support for it and the fact that it's all been going on without us realising hmm. to some degree. You've realised it, you've nailed it. Um, but I think... Are there therefore challenges in getting people into coding? And we certainly, so there is, is that assumption of tech is that it's male dominated. Is it still kind of more men than women getting involved in coding, more boys and girls? What's the... Yeah, it's still very male dominated. And, and, and it's a real shame because... Um, we, you know, we, we're trying to fix that problem at School of Coding, even at a very small level. Um, most of our tutors are female, and we do that by purpose in order to ta try and tackle the problem, create more role models for girls to try and get into coding. Um, we're going into schools and trying to solve the issue, but also, you know, people who are going into work, uh, looking to upskill. We're trying to encourage girls to take up coding. Um, it's male-dominated for various reasons because coding traditionally was seen for those who sit in you know some dungeon somewhere and, 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 and you know sit and with no lights on and just a screen light and encoding but it's it's nothing like that anymore and if you look at um, quite big tech firms they they now have a very very good role models uh, female role models who are now encouraging girls to get into coding um, and it's not just about gender equality we also have to think about that um, females tend to tackle problems a lot better than male. So we've seen that. Agreed. Yeah. I'm not just saying that for my wife. I'm, I'm agreeing with you on this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and they make a better tidy code than, than really? men as well. So, you okay. know, and, and, but, 
But on a um, on a serious note, even things like you know, if you're creating apps that are for male and females, we need to think about if it's just created by male. How would he have thought about the things that need solving for females? And there's been prime examples of that recently, that you need both people and both genders to be involved in order for us to solve that problem. Yeah, okay. And do you find that, you know, I mean, you did touch upon it earlier, but can literally you teach anyone to code or do they need to have basic skills to be able to begin? James is, re- I think James is really suffering from this computer science <laughs> A-level. Oh, I am. A-level. Yeah. A-level. Like, obviously, I don't know if you got I to grips with it. I money back then. Yeah, no. <laughs> you didn't get to grips with it. Had you started that journey back in? Uh... Yeah, no, it, 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 you don't really need any background, you know, as long as you know how to use a computer, you can learn to code, yeah. It's simple as that, yeah. There you go, James. Because I think <laughs> when people look at coding, they, they just see massive, you know, digits moving around on a screen. But we don't teach that way. We start on very basics where there's blocks of code already written for you and, and you're just connecting things together. So getting your head around it. You build a very small game or you just see something moving on a screen. Then you step up to the next part. And so I think it's where you start your journey. That's really, really important. I mean, I, I, honestly, I can get the sweats from basic going, you know, thinking back 35 years or something and, you know, just looking at page after page, we had a really sort of terrible teacher. Um, and, um, but I don't know if it, it would have made any difference what kind of quality of teaching was. I think it just hmm. felt like it was an alien language. And yeah. I think we'd go back and there's a Commodore 64, I think, or yeah. the friends yeah. around the corner had a BBC Micro, which was like, yeah. you know, an absolute titan of a computer at the time. But, you know, you think about, Again, your journey being so serendipitous and it all kind of linking in is fantastic. And you think, you know, when you when you read about people like Bill Gates who um, ended up at MIT, which is obviously, yeah. you know, best university in the world, but he also, they just built the biggest computer in the world. Mm-hmm. So he went at the, the right time, mm-hmm. clever enough, obviously. But then they, because they'd built this amazing computer, they'd given all the students security cards. So they were allowed two hours access max. Yeah. And his defaulted. So yeah. he had 24 hour access yeah. to this most amazing computer at the most amazing university. Yeah. So you put all those sort of three things together mm-hmm. and you get, this incredible, he's a bright guy anyway. Yeah. But when things kind of line up, yeah. you know, where, you know it's, it's incredible. It, is that, and obviously with James and his computer science A-level, it didn't quite line up. Well, one final thing on that, way. right, I'll tell you now. My, what, what did you get? What did you get? What did you get in your exam? Ooh, oh, here we go. Like. If it was an A, he would know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was lower than a C, but I still passed. <laughs> but no, I obviously, you know, I did struggle with it. And I, you know, asked my teacher at the time and my teacher's response every time was I'll leave you to think about it and he gave me no help or support at all um you know obviously you know if I came to you I wouldn't get that with you would yeah I? no <laughs> he probably didn't know how to code himself <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it yeah <laughs> um, and, and you know we've, we've spoken to teachers as well and, and and we laugh about it because teachers have literally come up to me and said you know if I know how to code I wouldn't be a teacher mm. I'll go and get a job in the city. And you think, <laughs> why are you saying that? And, yeah. and because they just looking at coding um, and, and its relationship to finance and, and obviously the monetary, uh, monetary value it brings. Um, and, and it's so true because there are, what, out of the 10 richest people in the world, five are coders. 
So, Are they? Yeah. So that's you look, why you got into the business. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. There you go. So. Is, that why is that why your Bentley's parked? <laughs> <Yeah. outside? laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. This is James's resignation live yeah. on the podcast. <laughs> so, so you know, it, it has a massive. Uh, as we know, you know, if you got the right app and you build it, and you know, app idea, and you build it, and and it takes off. You're an instant billionaire. That's just how the market works, the tech sector works. But nobody talks about, you know, the other side of it is what you've been talking about is how do we make sure that everybody gets that opportunity? And and it starts with the right teacher mm-hmm. and it starts with having the right start in education when it comes to computing and computer science. I think it's a massive improvement in our schools, both primary and secondary. I mean, at least all schools now have computers. That's a good starting <laughs> yeah, point, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, but do they offer coding? No, only I think 18% schools in the whole of the UK, what, 65,000 schools, only 18% offer coding. So that's... It's a market opportunity for us, but at wow. the same time, it's a massive problem for the country as well to still to solve, yeah. Yeah. Well, if it, if, if it is so intrinsic to every future job yeah. and, and post, then, yeah, it's it's incredible that it's not taught. Yeah. Do but you we, expect that figure to change dramatically in the next five, ten years? 100% school according going to change it. You know, <laughs> but <laughs> but we, we, we are encouraging more teachers to have training. You know, we, we've, we've now produced an e-learning platform for a teacher to, who's never done coding before to pick up our e-learning platform and then start teaching coding because we want to make teachers' life really easy. And teachers are so busy that you can't expect them to go out and go and learn how to code. So they've got to just be able to do something within their current job and, and pick up something and that they can take away. You didn't say it was schoolofcodinguk.com, by the way. Just thought I'd uh, drop in the, um, the <laughs> URL for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're pretty good on Google. Just type good. in School of Coding and we'll, we'll come up straight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, well, I mean, obviously, you know, you've set up your own business. You know, mm-hmm. what were the main challenges you have faced and, you know, what advice would you give to anyone, you know, considering setting up their own business? Okay. Um, well, there's a long, long list of advice to give to people. <laughs> and, and most of them are for my failures. But I th- um, if I could just touch up on a few of them. And, and I think I've seen so many entrepreneurs, you know, when I started out, um, I started from my bedroom. And then I'm, when I moved into uh, a science park in Wolverhampton, we were in an area where I had a single desk and there was another, I think, 14 people who started pretty much in the same year as me and only one of them survived and rest pretty much come back to do something different or get a job. And then you, you question why, why so many entrepreneurs fail. I think the rate is, what, 90% or something like that in the first three years. And for me, the biggest thing is you need to go into entrepreneurship, go into business, thinking about the problem you're trying to solve rather than trying to make money. Because most entrepreneurs now take on cheap money and that is, you know, they want funding in the first year. Mm. But if you never had £100,000 in your bank account before and someone gives you £100,000, how do you know how to spend it? You know, School of Coding, by the way, to this date, doesn't even have an overdraft. We have built a multi-million pound business without raising a single penny, not even taking overdraft. And the reason for that is because I wanted to make sure that we got ourselves to a level where we can handle millions of pounds and then make the right decisions yes, because agreed. that will you know, really help us explode as a business. Mm. So um, my advice would be, first of all, you need to think about, are you willing to work hard? Because without hard work, you're not gonna, uh, it's just not going to work in business. 
business. And I heard too many people say, I work smart, not hard. Well, you need both. You need to be yeah. smart at the, at the right time and you need to work hard at the right time. But if you work smart, you can get even more hours in the day. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But you still need to work hard in Absolutely. order to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and the second thing is, you know, you've got to be resilient. That's the biggest part, I think. For me, the reason School of Coding survived and the mind to times, even by professors at universities, you know, if you, if you ever followed me on LinkedIn, you'll read my story on there is that we got told literally to our face that this isn't too niche is not going to work you know that was before coding obviously took off um and we just didn't listen to them and and i was so resilient in my idea that you know if it's going to work i'm going to make it happen and of course now you know everybody wants to get into coding and everybody wants to get into the tech sector so i think being resilient as a business owner is very very key um and then the next part is um you're not going to get everything right and I, I really struggled with that in the first two years because everything I, want, I was doing, I thought I'm going to get it right. And when it went wrong, I was really beating myself up about it. But now I learned that, you know, as the owner of the business, as the founder and now the CEO is... If I make five decisions, I just need to get two of them correct. And those two will have the most impact. But you've got to quickly let go of the three that you got wrong and then keep moving forward. Because you can't say to yourself, just because you're in the driving seat, that you should have everything laid out the way it needs to be laid out. And then the last part I would say is adaptation to the marketplace because we have now um, taken on the branch School of Cybersecurity because we know that's where the market is going. Um, but we also understand and I really understand that in order for you to survive in the marketplace, don't be too late. You need to change. And we were talking about podcasts earlier is that you need to stay with the current climate because if you become, as I like to uh, give an example, the Nokia you know, or the, yeah. or the BlackBerry. You know, how how did Nokia ever get overtaken? Oh, just a horrific screw up, wasn't you it? You know, yeah, exactly. <clears throat> how ahead of the game to say behind? Yeah, the game. and and yeah. billions of pounds or dollars mm. behind you, and and then you somebody else just comes and takes over the market. And there's only one thing, and that's about innovation. You know, if you're not innovating, if you're not staying with the, what the market needs. You're just going to become the dinosaur and people just, you know, only read about you after. So, so, so there the innovation comes in in the groups that you're targeting or how you're going about writing your syllabus. Is that is that the innovation for you? Or is it is it making it more more achievable? With for for me, no, innovation is everywhere. You know, um, innovation is the type of people you hire. Um, because we're we're a coding company, so we need to hire young people who understood code. But then we need to hire people who understand op operations yeah. and people who have experience. And then moving into innovation about marketplace, you know, you got to understand your market, what's changing, and sometimes you have to lead the market as well. And we've done it so many times where we've come up with new things that the market then follows through with. Um, and then innovation is, you know, you as an uh, entrepreneur, what's your innovation? What are you going to bring to the market that's going to change things around? But more importantly, what are you innovating that's going to change people's lives? And that's really important for me is to, you know, like, for example, teaching a 10-year-old uh, to sit their GCSEs, that's innovation in itself. So innovation is not always tech as people always see it. Innovation is just in your ideas. Yeah. 
Naif, you set up your own company. Do you agree with his uh, advice? Yeah, it, it's, it's really interesting. I think only when you look back, I mean, we're, what, 15 years old, I think, when you only look back, and we set up in November 2008, so that was like recession month one. Mm. And weirdly, I'd, I mean, I've said this before, that, you know, I'd, I thought if I can make money in a, in a month where the world financially is falling apart, I think yeah. we'll be all right. Oh, 100%. So, yeah. Yeah. But kind of in some respects, you had nothing massive to lose. I yeah. mean, I would have gone back and found something at some point. Um, but I was determined to do it. But I'd spent, and I always rue that I didn't start it earlier. Mm-hmm. I was... Um, gosh, 35, 34. And I'd worked in newspapers for 15 years. Ever since I qualified, I went straight into newspapers. But I thought I probably needed that time in papers to annoy myself so much that that was my spur. And I think people need a spur. You had the spur. You had the the sort of despair. I had this... I just wasn't getting the same sort of buzz out of work that I used to get. Yeah. And I wanted something that was, you know, the way I wanted it. I wanted yeah. it to be run the same way. Um, and and I wanted to create the sort of best bits of a newsroom. Hence, you know, Crikey, we're still doing this. We sort of hired ex-journos. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. great. You know, I love what we do. And I still have that buzz every day. And I come in and the team will say, 100%. I sort of bounce in yeah. and I'll come up with some stupid ideas. Yeah. Um, but I love, I love team. And the, the biggest thing for me actually has been really difficult was was pandemic and working remotely from clients as well as from people because I'm a people person. The business is a people business. Mm -hmm. And as much as I, you know, it's great to have the great, great people around you. I really miss that. And and we're we're not as good when we're not together. And so going forward, that's the one bit I'm sort of, you know, maybe this is me being a dinosaur here. Um, I'm going to find that quite difficult if that becomes more and more the state of the market that everyone is remote. Uh, yeah, it's tough. It's a tough one to work out. You know, we want hybrid to some degree, yeah, you know, yeah. but, but I, th- I think for me, I need, I get energy from others' energy as well, or I'm, I'm a feeder of energy. I kind of love. But, but we have to remember that when, um, when the whole world is moving one way, opportunities are usually yeah. the other way. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, if everybody's looking to move online, that's then the opportunity is actually face to face, not, in online yeah. so because you'll have a wave definitely but people will then want to go back mm-hmm. you know and and this is why you've seen the highest number of bookings uh, in restaurants now than compared to obviously before because people miss that part and as human beings you know we like you said not just yourself everybody wants to work face to face or have that relationship yeah of course it's now opened a lot more doors for online stuff but yeah. you know we still deliver face to face and we still deliver online so um it's just uh, to me it's one of the things that we're looking at is do we open now open high street education centers because people want to send their kids Ooh, an exclusive yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I love that idea yeah. that's a great idea because the high street also needs a kick up the backside exactly. and people have been trialing loads of different yeah. things experiential mm-hmm. stores yeah. you write off the business rates you know yeah. you kind of say it's free parking for everybody or whatever but you know you go to the high street traditionally in the old days you'd have gone to the butcher you'd have gone to sort of a news yeah. agent to pick up yeah. something done a bit of shopping gone home now you know everything arrives and it also it depends on your business as well, you know, because the, uh, recently, I think it was yesterday, the news came out that um, HSBC are closing what, 100 and mm. something branches, right? If I, I don't know what the number is, but it, it tells you why they're closing those branches is, is because people see that service being delivered online. So you can understand your market as to what they want. For, for us, um, and what I, I'm a big believer on is that you don't need a everyday shop on uh, physically anymore but what you do need is a community so you need to have 
a you know office like yours where people can come and spend one day out of the five now be if they're your client and be with you face to face but they can spend the four days online and, it, and yeah. it's absolutely fine and we're doing that at school yeah. of coding so we deliver twice a week um face to face but then the rest is online so yeah. people are getting the best of both worlds yeah. so that's innovation yeah it's great isn't it <laughs> and it's you know for building a team for yeah. building some sort of longevity in a team yeah i want you know i care it's not just about someone sitting on a seat it's yeah. kind of you know i care about them and their family i kind of want to make sure that they're getting the best that they can we give them the most that we can i kind of but i want them to be around because I love it. Clients yeah. love it. You know, it's like here it is like working with your great mates. Mm. And I love that because then a, we kind of counter any issues together. Yeah. That's a kind yeah. of collaborative approach. But B, if you know each other so well, then when we're coming up with ideas and campaigns and projects, you're kind of, yeah. you're all feeding in because you've all got that sort of same energy. And if one person doesn't, it's a lift. Yeah. It's sort of like a family, you know, it's a, it, it's a lift. Of course, it's going to be, you know, when you've got 200 members of staff in a couple of years, yeah. you know, your door will probably be closed at some stage because yeah, otherwise you're never yeah, going to yeah. get yeah. anything exactly. done. Exactly, anything exactly, done. yeah. But maybe you'll take that sort of chairmanship role where you'll have an MD and you yeah. will be the guy who still goes to see everybody and they're like, oh, this is Manny. Yeah, he's got two Bentleys now. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's really difficult it's, you know, it's, it's trying to get just so he gets the parking space out yeah. front he leaves one overnight oh, um, no I know but I mean it, it's an incredible story we said this the, the very first time we met you hmm. and um, Thank you. for us to sort of share stories like that is brilliant on the podcast because everybody's looking for something they yeah. want they want some inspiration they yeah. want a bit of advice they want motivation yeah. this is motivating yeah. for me you know it's great it's really motivational um and yeah you should maybe do more of it you should do you know this is this is really important because you know the brand is important obviously yeah. Yeah. but but brand money and you know, to be that person, there's a yeah. good gig in, in, in sort of motivational speaking and, you know, running your own podcast series would be a great idea. You know, certainly doing some sort of profile stuff for, yeah. for LinkedIn, harnessing all that LinkedIn stardust mm -hmm. that you've got yeah. helps being on the TV. You know, it's really nice, but yeah. I think it's, you know, you've got to make sure that, that continues. That can't be a, you know, these can't be spikes. Yeah. You know, yes, it of course it helps and you can you can grow together and you can kind of go, well, look, hold on, I've got all this amazing stuff going on mm -hmm. and I want to deliver it. Yeah. But again, you want to still innovate. You want to be you want to be a, a sort of helicopter view of the business at the yeah. same time. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I, I think one of the things that um, crosses my mind is, and, it, and probably I think it's the wrong thinking, but, you know, it's something that you, you have to overcome is you, you try and think that, people don't want to hear this you know people don't want to be part of this journey with you and and it's only when people ask me to do things or t they ask me to talk about my journey that's when i start to think that you know yes they want to hear this they want to you know right. they want more of this but um i think the the the, the biggest issue is this you know there's so many what i call unsung heroes in and these are people who Tried in business, failed. Tried in business, failed. Tried in business, failed. And then went and got a job or, or did mm. totally something different. But what we see is we sometimes think those people are failures. But what we forget is that the biggest lessons that we can learn are from those people. Mm. Because if you are going to succeed, you, you definitely need to fail. Because without failure, you're never going to be successful. Yeah. That's just the number one thing. But the second thing is that how do you then minimize that failure that you're going to have you know um and the only way you can do that is by looking at people and who failed and failed over and over again so because it teaches you two things one that failure is always going to be there 
but it's how you deal with it that's really important. Um, and I try to watch a lot of uh, content or read a lot of content around people's failures rather than their success mm. because success just shows you one side of the picture. But what you want to understand, like you was talking about Bill Gates, you know, um, Bill Gates, yeah, you know, a number of times being the world's richest person, but at the same time, people don't know the the all the difficulties he went through when he was building Microsoft, and one of the biggest was the the court case when his business totally took off because he bought in uh, the new CEO and he had to step down. And now, if you built one of the biggest world, well, the biggest brand at that time in the world, and you got to take a step down, and because you got to appear in court every day, yeah. you know that that just does something mm. to you and, and but to keep going after that and and everybody looks at the success story but they're going to start looking at the failure stories because mm. that's where we're going to learn the biggest lessons and we have to teach our children and the next generation or anybody in that case whether you're young or old starting as an entrepreneur as you asked the question earlier is start with you know understanding failure is normal mm. and stop looking at failure as a bad thing and i strongly encourage parents if they're listening to this is that please stop telling your children that they just need to be successful and everything's got to be right whether it's in school or out of school because they've got to learn to fail mm. and i say to that say that to my children all okay. the time that tell me about the things that you did wrong not just the things that you did right because that for them then becomes normal for them to understand that failure is normal in life based how you deal with that failure that, but you can that show matter. them that story that, of yours to kind of go we wouldn't be here if i hadn't have failed 100 so, I mean, we talk story. about that all the Do time you? yeah well big up also to mrs atwell because um had she not been as as supportive as as you know some people wouldn't have done that yeah some some yeah. wives you know pregnant on the doorstep wouldn't have gone Oh, okay. You've had a great yeah. idea, darling. Yeah. Have you? They might have. Gone, yeah. You know, no, no. Totally yeah. I hope yeah. you're not misselling her reaction yeah. because you know I'm sure some people are being like, "Hey, where the hell have you been? Yeah. B, yeah. I, I can't. You can't even make this job work." Mm. And C, get back to finance, please, because that's where we make some money. Yeah. You know, that, they they would have had. It would have been that difficult. Hundred percent, and it was. And you know, I'm very, very, very thankful to my wife, and and she's she's. I always say she's the backbone of school coding because. Although I am the face of it and everybody talks about, you know, the success we had and, and, the, and put my name next to it. But without her sport, like you said, you know, she could have very easily made it impossible for me to run School of Coding or even start School of Coding. But she didn't. She believed in me. That was a, uh, one thing. But then keep going, you know, because we were in financial difficulty. But at the same time, like I said, when, when you hit failures, um, it's just human nature. You know, there was a lot of uh, other uh, very close family members who literally just turned their back on me because they couldn't see me through it and uh, my wife never ever to this day gave up and and it's funny because I sometimes doubt things that I'm going to be able to do them uh, and and she just says to me no if anybody's going to do it it's going to be you what so legend. yeah so what she so she definitely definitely been a massive oh, massive well part of this journey and still is you know Great story. Fantastic great story, story, yeah. Manny, yeah. Manny, thank you. That is um, phenomenal. Hopefully You're welcome. everybody thank else you gets for the having same sort of